This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. on your face is there something on your ceiling i'm trying to remember how margaritaville goes i refuse to let you make this into a master and margaritaville joke i just don't i think we're better than that you think we're better than a master in margaritaville something something lost shaker assault book <laughs> toe burr Welcome to Overdue, it's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read my name is craig my name's andrew it's getting spooky in here again yeah we're Playing Once Jimmy again. Buffett songs, hanging mm-hmm. ghosts on the windows, <laughs> like you do, man. Yeah, all the all the houses around here are starting to get like the big inflatable pumpkins, and you got the spider webs, and sometimes you got orange or purple like spooky Christmas lights. I saw. I keep walking by this house where there is a welcome mat that says "Come in, we're thirsty," and it's all like blood letters. Whoa! Yeah. You know what's going on in there. That's like backward because usually it's like a vampire has to be. You have to in, invite yeah. a vampire into your house, but when they are inviting you into their house, it kind of makes it makes it a little bit easier. It does. It for does them to do their thing. So this week in Spooktober, I I read a book. Me, Craig, I am the one who read the book. This that's week. A spooky. That's a spooky fact. So I read The Master and Margarita by Mikhail Bulgakov. And this was recommended to us by a couple people, including a Patreon donor, Julia. Thank you, Julia, um, and those of you who mentioned it as well. Uh, we have not really tackled the Russian literary canon on our show, and a lot of this came up a lot when folks were like, "Hey, you should read some Russian authors, maybe." Like we've done Nabokov, right? We did, yeah, we did. But um, I don't think we've done any. Dost- yeah, we haven't done any Dostoevsky. We haven't done any. Um, what's the war Tolstoy? Tolstoy, like Pushkin, all the other. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like Go- vaguely Gogol. F- yeah, that's how you pronounce his name. Nikolai right? Nikolai Gogol. Um, Google. I'll talk about him a little later because I think he's relevant to this book. But mm-hmm. he, th- it yeah, is a blind th- spot th- for us. It's a blind spot for us, but also I'm like kind of intimidated by all of them because they're <laughs> all just very serious and very big. Yes, this one is not serious, nor is it too big. But it is on, like, a bunch of lists for one of the best novels ever or, like, best 20th century novels, which just, like, set the bar real high, guys. I mean, I know this There's this kind of would invalidate our entire book podcast existing, but, like, what are we going to add to the conversation (laughs) about war and peace? (laughs) Really? I, I have ideas. Um... But let's talk not. about big let's talk, No, I actually do. Let's talk about Volkov, though. Um, I don't know anything about him, Andrew. What do you know? You don't know anything about him? Way to come prepared. I'm Luckily, just, I know some things. Peel back I'll save, the, I'll peel save, ba- your, save your bacon again. Peel back the curtain. I have some stuff, but I was trying to toss it to Andrew because I talked for a few minutes. Yeah, so he was born in 1891. <laughs> 
in what was then the Russian Empire. Yes. And uh, is is currently Ukraine, like modern day Ukraine. And then yep. he died in 1940 in Moscow um, in the Soviet Union. Um, he died from nephrosclerosis, which is also called hypertensive kidney disease. It's this like high blood pressure related thing where you having high blood pressure for a super long time ruins your kidney. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So that's cool. Check your blood pressure, everybody. Um, but it was something his, his dad died from, and he, too. It's um, genetic. It can yeah. be genetic, yeah. And so, so uh, he prophesied this death for himself from fairly early on, which oh is pretty, sounds pretty Russian to me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also, like, part of his career is be feeling incredibly repressed by the state and whether or not any of his work will ever see the light of day. I imagine right. that might add to your blood pressure with your blood pressure disease, Mr. Bulgakov. Maybe, maybe so, maybe so. Oh, um, so he was originally a doctor. He um, served as a medic on the front in World War One, which he was pretty seriously injured a couple of times and for a little while was leaning pretty heavy on uh, morphine to deal with the pain. But he did quit cold turkey like in in late twenties, right? Yeah. I oh, think. okay. Yeah, and, he wrote a book uh, but but he it, wrote so. he wrote a book in nineteen twenty six about being addicted to morphine. It's called morphine. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, okay. <laughs> Big surprise. <laughs> um but yes, yeah, so, so he you know, he he was sick from that. He got a pretty bad bout of typhus that he almost died from. And then after that, like in the late teens and early twenties, he shifted to writing a little bit more. Um but he was, you know, he was interested in, in writers and writing and theater from a pretty early age. In school, he his favorite authors were uh Pushkin and Dickens and Dostoevsky, like a mix of of English and Russian authors. Sure. And um he also allegedly wrote plays for his six brothers and sisters to act out at oh, home God. sometimes. So he became a playwright and he had so you mentioned repression and and censorship and stuff. He had kind of a weird relationship with Joseph Stalin who <laughs> Yeah, he did. was the um, was the the uh leader of the Soviet Union at this time. So a little bit just like background Russia facts, I guess. Yeah. Soviet Union started in 1922. Um, this was a few years after the uh, October Revolution in 1917, which um, is when uh, Vladimir Lenin like overthrew the provisional government that sort of bridged that gap between the like the pre the czars, yeah, czars and, and the Russian Empire, and then the the Soviet Union later. Um, so Stalin comes into power in the 20s, and he, you know, he he melds these ideas from Lenin and, and Marx with his own stuff. So there there are like distinct branches of political thought that are Stalinism and then like Leninism and Marxism. Um and but but one of the big things that his you know his rule was also marked by was a lot of censorship, including most notably this thing called the Great Purge that mm. happened uh from mostly from 1936 to 1938 where um around a million people were killed for being, you know, critics of or enemies of or perceived enemies of the state. Cool. So that was fun. Yeah. So bring this back around to our boy Bulgakov, our boil our Bulgakov. No. No. 
No. Maybe. <laughs> Just maybe. Um, Stalin personally seemed to really like his work. Yeah. And he got, he, he kind of, he got him a, like, you saw some of his plays, like, m- multiple times. He got him a job in the Moscow Art Theater. Um, but the government still nevertheless, like, banned a lot of his plays and eventually, like, stopped him from publishing entirely. Yeah, Stalin did personally ban a play of his called The Run that was about, like, the horrors of Civil War, um... And at one point, so he had started, Bulgakov started this book as a draft in the late 20s, thought it was garbage, said to his wife, now it deserves to be put in the commode under your linens. The commode. And burned it <laughs> um, and wrote to Stalin in the like 1930 or other, or I think it's 1930, maybe early 30s, asking permission to leave Russia if he couldn't write stuff that would that like, that would be published. Um and then was reposted at the Moscow Art Theater by Stalin. Yeah. Following Stalin that. was like, "You don't really want to leave, right? Yeah, you don't want. Nah, leave. you don't really want to leave." Um, but yeah, he was leave. dealing with this. He was dealing with this censorship his entire life, pretty much. And um, so, yeah, as you mentioned, he was working on the Master in Margaritaville, starting in 1928 <laughs> um, until his until his death. He read a version of it aloud to friends in 1939, like a little bit before he died and they all kind of freaked out when they learned that he intended to publish it. Yeah, they did. <laughs> because it's pretty critical. Uh, as I understand, it's pretty critical of the Soviet government. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't, so it wasn't actually published until 1967 and a totally uncensored version of it because, you know, the, the, the regime had long since changed by that point, but it was still, you know, the Soviet union. Um, a totally uncensored version did not appear until 1969. Nice. But since then, it's, you know, it's been hailed as one of the most significant literary works of the 20th century. So I'm curious to to hear a little bit more about it. You got any other fun book facts? Did you, you know Did you know that bands such as Pearl Jam, Franz Ferdinand, and the Rolling Stones have drawn inspiration from this book? I did see that. Yeah. Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam's always more relevant than you think they are. It's just what I'm here to say. <laughs> um, and the other interesting thing in the late 60s when the book was originally published in a magazine in like a censored version, as you said. Um, and then there was like must a... must have been a big magazine. Yeah, I don't really understand how that works. Um, more like a JCPenney catalog. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a dot version went around in the, in 67... It's like a self-published, mostly complete uncensored version. And then, yeah, it was published uncensored fully in France in 69 and then wasn't published uh, until 73 in Russia. And it's like final form. Um, And there's a lot of debate that I found over translations. I was going to ask if it was if it was in Russian originally. Um. Because he did have interest in English authors. No, it's my understanding he wrote, he wrote the whole thing in Russian. Um, there was originally the Ginsberg translation in 1967. Um, I was hunting around for the Bergen and O'Connor version from 93 because it had been well regarded. Uh, but the most common one, and this is the Penguin Books edition, is from Richard Pavir and Larissa Valakonsky. Um, who have kind of taken over 
as the the standard Russian translators in a lot of circles. They've done Anna Karenina and Brothers Karamazov. Um, they won some like a prize for the for their translation of the Idiot. Um, they are like a team that is wrapped up in this whole business. So okay, um, that's the version I read. If uh, I think there were some turns of phrase that I was like, mm, really, and then there were other turns of phrases that I found like charming and and interesting. And like I think, re- really, in a way that maybe it was just like complicated to convey the original intent, or just or like, like a an oddly phrased, um, an oddly phrased bit of English of like, why didn't you use a contraction there, or uh, why did sure. you structure the sentence that way, kind of thing. Um, but mostly, I found it really easy to read and, and pretty clean. Neat. So yeah, that's all I got. Let's take a quick break, and then I'll tell you about this f- spooky masterpiece. All right. Craig, you want to talk about something spooky? What is that? Nothing is spookier than an unsocked foot. You're right. That's so gross and like <laughs> calluses and nails and fungus. <laughs> Cover it up. Yeah. So we we you and I both have said that if we were ever going to get rich, the one extravagance that we would allow ourselves it was that we would never wear a pair of sock twice yes but these maybe. are some socks that you won't mind wearing twice craig tell me more about them yeah so our sponsor this week is bombus socks they make the most comfortable socks in the history of feet uh and they've totally re-engineered <laughs> socks with comfort innovations that add up to one way more comfortable pair of socks um they've got like arch support and a cushioned footbed Something called stay up technology, where they've got like over a hundred tension levels that were tested to find the perfect tension that's comfortable, so the sock stays in place without leaving a mark. Pretty good. And all the toes are all the toes. Yeah, all the toes in <laughs> your socks are super soft, so you never want to take them off. Plus, Bombas socks. Uh, for every pair sold, they donate one because you can't. This is a big thing I didn't realize. You can't donate used socks, Andrew. No, which was you can't. My whole plan, <laughs> if I ever got rich, so huh. uh, I would wear socks once and then don't they donate them. But Bombus has beaten me to the punch. They are donating one pair of socks for every pair sold. Um, I have a couple pairs of Bombus socks now. I like them a lot. I wear some of them for running. Um, they've got some good athletic socks that also like protect your heel from the back of your shoe. Mm-hmm. Um, I got some dress socks. You have some of the dress socks too, right? Well, I got some of the dress socks there. Good socks. Because the problem I have with socks is that the soles of them wear out like within mm-hmm. a few months mm-hmm. usually. But these are they're thick without being too warm for the you know for the summer and fall. And they're yeah. super comfy, and they look really nice, and I like them a lot. Like we like we like all of our sponsors here on Overdue, but I gotta say these are very good socks. <laughs> what would you say these socks feel like, Andrew? Um, I'm supposed to use some fun, colorful language. They feel like having your foot rubbed by a stuffed animal. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> so if you want your foot rubbed by a stuffed animal. Um, and you want 20% off your first order of Bombas socks, you got to go to bombas.com slash overdue. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com, and you'll get 20% off your first order. Bombas.com slash overdue, and the code is overdue. So, Craig, 
Andrew, tell me what makes this book spooky because I've we've gotten not a lot of feedback, but a couple people have mentioned that it's not kind of a spooky horror thrills and chills and spills book. Um, like excuse a lot of me, our Andrew, what's spookier are. than a repressive authoritarian regime? What's spookier than an elite literary class having access to all the best housing in Moscow? What's spookier than a bunch of people ratting out their friends to get better apartments? Actually, what's really spooky is that there's a character who's literally the devil, and he turns a lady into a witch, and one of his mm. friends is a giant cat. Like that is it's, spooky. <laughs> it's crazy. I was going to say, in response to your other questions, like a skeleton... <laughs> Sure. Like a walking skeleton, uh-huh. a bunch of spiders, a zombie, a zombie the skeleton, <laughs> student loans. Sure, that's getting back into the mundane sort yeah, of abstract that's kinda spooks, pretty though. Spooky but... <laughs> though, when those bills come mm-hmm. and you're not ready for them. So the devil comes down to Georgia, but not. But the Georgia next to Russia, yeah. you nailed it. <laughs> um. So the book opens. It's Moscow in the 1930s. And I had to keep uh, disavowing myself of the notion that because this book was published in the 60s, it somehow took place in the 60s. No, <laughs> I had no, to remind no. myself a couple yeah, times. Right. Um, and we open in a park called, if I recall, Patriarch's Ponds, which is actually where, uh, around where Bulgakov himself lived in Moscow. And we meet a dude named Berlioz who shares a name with the famous opera composer who, ironically enough, composed Faust, clever Bulgakov, mm-hmm. um, but is not that composer, and his friend Ivan Nikolaevich Ponryov. Um, I love a Russian name. Yes. Who's, That's the coolest thing about the Americans, probably, is just <laughs> listening to them all like breeze through all their yeah. super long... There's three or four name names. Arcady is not a name I knew before the Americans, and there's a guy Mm -hmm. named Arcady in this book, too. It's kind of neat. Nice. uh, Ivan Nikolaevich, his pen name, I think in the Russian, is Bezdomini, which translates to homeless. So he is often referred to just by the name homeless. That's his poet pen name. And Berlioz and homeless are chilling in the park, talking about, you know, how God doesn't exist and whatever. Right. And they are members of a literary bureaucracy named Masalit. And this is where you get the beginning of Bulgakov like critiquing the state and the idea that there would be some sort of artist state sponsored bureaucracy that would be that would be uh, vulnerable to all the same corruption that your standard bureaucracy would that goes mm-hmm. against art in, in some key ways. So these two guys are hanging out in the park and this Professor Woland appears speaking in like a variety of accents they don't know if he's german or russian or american or french and he he i think he declares himself a professor of black magic at one point and begins debating with them whether or not jesus uh was a real person or, or at least whether or not he is like grounded in any sort of historical fact. 
and woolens. Can I see yeah. your your degree for your your like teaching certificate for your <laughs> sure. black magic. They thing, ask him for please. papers a lot, and of course, this is a, a world where everyone is supposed to have their papers at all times. Like you're supposed to have your passport right. on you. Wolin does not have papers. He does not need papers um, because he is actually the devil. Um, right. He tells them that he knows Jesus existed because he was there when Pilate sentenced him to death. Right. Which is a pretty bold claim, I might say. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are, in fact, surprised by it, and he attempts to prove some of his, like, black magic-ness and and veracity to Berlioz by predicting Berlioz's death, that he will be killed by a Russian woman, he will be beheaded, um, and it will have something to do with another woman... Um, who he doesn't know as well. And of course, this comes to pass after uh, the devil tells them a story about Pilate, which he relays as fact. Um, and then Berlioz is like leaving for a tram, falls down into the train tunnel, and is beheaded by a tram car driven by a woman. Uh, turns out he slipped on something that another woman spilt. And Uh-oh. that's how he died. So the devil, <sighs> classic, predicted... classic women, just <laughs> spilling <laughs> stuff everywhere it's and really... driving trains. D- There's a lot of moments in this book that like bemoan tram cars. Mostly, the devil doesn't like tram cars, um, and I'm all about that public transportation. So I yeah, don't really too. agree so with feels the devil like on this one. S- speaking out against public transit which i don't really i can't really get behind um it to, to maybe again it goes back to like it's yet another state-run agency that could be corrupted and let like women drive train i don't really know that that's what Volker cops <laughs> saying um but i mentioned the uh the pilot story because it introduces a one of the three main like thrusts of the book so one part of the book is the Russian literary elite, the literati. Another third of the book are these sections that take place like 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem with Pilate uh, dealing with whether or not he's going to kill Jesus, um, the killing of Jesus, and what he's going to do about afterwards. Um, In the book, Jesus is referred to as Yeshua, um, and it's I think it's... similarly a different spelling of Jerusalem um, with a Y. Mm-hmm. I think that is, it reminded me of when we were talking about um, Salman Rushdie's Satanic Verses, mm-hmm. where stuff is changed just a little bit, not necessarily so that you think it's something different, but maybe for a little bit of plausible deniability on the part of the author. Like, I didn't use Jesus's actual name. <laughs> you know? But everybody knows. Um this is about someone else, some other messiah. It's about a different messiah whose name is sort of like Jesus and sort of like Joshua. Just be- like get be- it. Bezus. <laughs> That's my favorite DBZ character. Yeah. Is Bezus. Um so after this like initial pilot story and the killing of Berlioz, um, the devil, two of his friends show up, the giant black cat who at one point tries to pay for a ride on the train car, uh, which freaks uh, Mr. Homeless out. And a guy... Because usually cats ride free. They do. Well, he's also like as big as a hog. 
and he walks around on his hind legs. Yeah, see that? Okay, so the paying for stuff is weird, but if I were going to, like, I'm surprised that you mentioned that he has money and not that he was, like, pig-sized and walked upright. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. It's um, it's an element of this book that is absurdist and a little magical realist where sometimes the definitions of things are a little fuzzy to let your imagination kind of fill in the blanks. Sure. Um, or to allow the book to change them a little bit later and it all still feeling okay to do so. Um, so at times I feel like the, the sometimes the cat is a person. Sometimes it's a giant cat. Sometimes it shoots guns. Sometimes it tries to run on trains. You know, um, cats can't use guns. They've got thumbs. Oh boy. Um, so this incident with Berlioz's death drives Ivan Nikolaevich insane, um, and he starts running around Moscow trying to chase these guys down. He loses them in several crowds. He uh, has like a series of almost like Larry David esque Seinfeldian episodes of like, oh, he ran into the wrong woman's apartment, and all of a sudden now he's carrying like candles so that he can ward off the devil. And then he thinks they jumped in the river, so he jumps in the river and comes back, and someone stole all his clothes. So now he's mm-hmm. running around the city with no clothes, mm-hmm. and he runs back to his apartment where all of the Russian literati live. And he's like, yo, Berlioz is dead, and the devil killed him, and a cat rode a tram. We got to call the cops. And they do call the cops on him and take him away (laughs) to an asylum. (laughs) And this is where I expected the book to stay, because I wasn't really sure what the devil thing was going to be about. I thought it was going to be more of like a spooky state asylum story. Okay. Did not. But he doesn't nope. stay in the asylum? Uh, uh, no. Actually, the book just leaves him to go do oh, okay. other stuff. Got it. Um, he does meet the titular master uh, of the of the title, um, who is right. a spurned literary author, perhaps a bit of a Bulgakov stand-in, who is, he attempted to write a novel about Pontius Pilate, hey, that's the story that we were hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was so thoroughly rejected by his critics that he burned the manuscript, much like the manuscript of the Master Margarita, left his lover, Margarita, and then was framed by one of his acquaintances uh, who gave a false report to the authorities, so he sought refuge in this mental hospital. So this like artist has turned his back on creating art in society um, and is like living in this mental hospital. So that's like... The setup, I guess. Mm-hmm. And the uh, big thrust of the book is the devil doing devil stuff to corrupt Russia. Not um, corrupt as an adjective in that sense. So he is there to like expose how corrupt and silly this whole system is. Mm-hmm. Um, after the dude Berlioz dies... The devil and his friends move into Berlioz's apartment. <laughs> they have like fabricated papers. Um, Berlioz's roommate tries to like get them uh, like kicked out or or you know what is happening here, and they literally teleport him to Yalta to just get rid of him. Okay. Wh- okay. Okay. They they turn they get rid of. I don't an- know what to do with this information. I didn't know either. They get rid of another guy who is like causing trouble for them by, um, like plain- 
planting foreign currency on him and then like having someone call the cops and then he's like taken away. There's a lot of disappearing of people, which mostly it's the devil's doing, but the devil is taking advantage of this like hyper paranoid like repressive repressive government society yeah and the devil is taking advantage of all of the incentives that individuals have to like claw their little way like into a better apartment or, Mm -hmm. or whatever it might be um so let me like explain the devil's retinue a little bit i've talked about the big cat his name is behemoth um, which is a reference to the monster and also I think is like the Russian word for hippopotamus. Um, <laughs> he is described at one point as a black cat of uncanny size with a glass of vodka in one paw and a fork on which he had managed to spear a pickled mushroom in the other. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of a goofy jerk that is always like cracking jokes and causing trouble. Um, at one point, this was a good struck me funny, he is pouring himself a glass of water and everyone, instead of, like, screaming, they're just, like, watching this in horror. And one guy goes, that's class. Like, the way that he <laughs> pours his glass of water for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the guy who's always wearing, like, a checkered suit and a pince-nez. Um, his name is... Wait, Cor- what? Like, a pince-nez. Yeah, what is that? I think it's, like, eyeglasses that just hang on your nose. Uh, it's you spell I- it? P-I-N-C-E-N-E-Z. Okay, I'm looking. Yeah, okay, yeah, they just kind of perch on your nose. Yeah, they pinch your nose. Pince-nez, like it's French, the I think. The top image that comes up is just of Teddy Roosevelt wearing these glasses. <laughs> Popular in the 19th century. Sure, okay. Um, he is an ex, always described as an ex-choir master, which I think is a reference to him being a fallen member of the angelic choir. Um, and he is capable of creating illusions. I'll get to that in a second. There's a dude named Azazello, uh, who is named for the fallen angel Azazel or Azazel, who I think is in one apocryphal book or one book of the Bible or like a non-canonical book of the Bible is described as being responsible for makeup, like mm-hmm. the sin of makeup. Think about that for a second. <laughs> Uh, and there's also a naked lady named Hella who's a succubus. There's like a there's just random naked ladies in this book, and you just gotta roll with it, I guess. They're not really thought about very much. They're just okay. there as kind mm-hmm. of background. But so, as I said, the devil takes over Moscow, um, starts punishing these literary dudes. Yeah, I and guess it, I can see why the government would have gotten mad about this. Yeah. So on, like the devil is running like <laughs> what is is this a symbol for something? Like, what is like what is the difference between the devil orchestrating this and like it just being citizens doing it is a pretty right. like fuzzy line yeah. that certainly reflects poorly on the government and certainly reflects poorly on like, oh, the we are the ones allowing these men to run a theater and put on plays and they're the ones who are like criminally corrupt and, and yada 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 um so it culminates in the guy that they sent off to yalta having like been hypnotized in securing a contract for the devil to perform at the theater as mm-hmm. like this black magic professor which at first is like the cat doing tricks while Woland just stands there 
And then Koroviev comes out and starts doing some illusions where he invites a bunch of women up on stage and gives them a bunch of fancy clothes. And everyone's it. I, it reaches this fever pitch of materialism that also seems really like bad for Russia, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he summons money out of the sky, and everyone like fights each other to get all the money, and they're rioting. He rips the MC of the theater's head off, and asks the MC if he's gonna keep putting on terrible shows. And with like with no head, no his ta- his head ripped off is like talking. Oh, okay. Um, and still probably pretty hard to put on a good show. <laughs> yeah, that way. And the audience is like, "Put his head back on! You're freaking <laughs> us out." Uh, and so he does, and the guy's like alive again. Um, and while you're reading this, it's hard to know if this stuff is really happening. You know, these characters are like demons and the devil. Um, but the ramifications are that then people leave the theater and they're all like naked. They're not wearing any clothes or Mm -hmm. they go to spend some money and all the people who get paid are complaining that the rubles are actually like crumpled up like pieces of flyers and like not actual money. So maybe it was illusions. Who knows? Um, so this, that's like the culmination of the devil, uh, interacting with this section of Russian society, making them look really bad, making them look really greedy. Um, along the way, we get at least one or two more jumps into the Pontius Pilate track, where the big scene is him deciding whether or not to pardon Jesus. So I don't know if you remember this. I certainly didn't. I don't really have a, a good uh, sense of this tale outside of like in the biblical version is what I would okay. say. Mm-hmm. But like Jesus meets with Pilate. Pilate's right. like, yo, what's your deal? You're causing a lot of trouble. And Jesus is like, hey, power is an illusion because God. Uh-huh. So like get your stuff in order because we're all going to the the, the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we we, we, don't, we don't need power where we're all going. What So what translation of the Bible is that? <laughs> That's the, that's the Craig Bible. Okay. That's, that's the Craig Do You Get It Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're, you know, they're going back and forth. They don't agree on the way that the world is, but Pilate seems to be enjoying his time with Jesus. And he's sentenced to death alongside three other like thieves. And there's this big public ceremony where one of them is going to be spared as just like part of the routine. Right. And Pilate refuses. Well, he does not stand up to his boss, Caiaphas, to spare Jesus. Instead, he spares one of the thieves. Mm-hmm. And this is this portrayed in the book as this like act of cowardice where uh, Pilate is this like bureaucrat, to tie it back to Soviet Russia, who mm-hmm. is kind of unwilling to rebuke the system, unwilling to push back against authority to do what he thinks might be the right thing. Right. Um, so that gets at one of the, like a famous quote from this book is cowardice is the most terrible of vices. It is in this book attributed to Jesus while he's on the cross, like, you know, talking to the people who ultimately cause his death. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, you see cowardice throughout the book, but that's like one of the pilot's journey of like 
did I do the right thing? No, I didn't. I'll be haunted by it forever. Um, is is how that is manifested. I don't know if I have other vices. Like the book says that cowardice is the is the root of all other vices. Right. Do you think there's a vice that's worse than cowardice, Andrew? I mean, money's pretty bad, right? Yeah. Like that's another one where people say like it's greed. the root of all evil. Yeah. Yeah. Those two, like vaping is like... Vaping. <laughs> it's pretty low. Vaping's definitely a vice, but it's not, you know, it's not even, it's not even as bad as smoking, I don't think. No, I don't think it is. It doesn't... Probably, like, arguably, as far as we know. Yeah. The, so the, far. The data is still being analyzed on right. how bad vaping is, I suppose. Mm-hmm. You know, gambling's bad, but that goes back to, like, gam- uh, greed and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Is murder a vice... Or murder is just uh, a thing you shouldn't do. <laughs> well, what is a what is a vice but a thing that you shouldn't do? It's, I guess it depends. If you only murder someone once, I don't think it's a, a vice. Because I think a vice no. is a bad habit, right? Oh, but if you murder a lot of people, then it's a vice. That's definitely a vice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, so that's that's where that quote comes from in regards to this book. Back to the spooky stuff. I want to go back to the spooky stuff, Andrew. Yeah, because it's Spooktober, so spook me, man. Um, the other, the third main thread of this book, as I said, it involves the master and his lover, Margarita. And right. we meet Margarita. She is in a loveless marriage uh, to some dude. And um, one of the devil's workers like approaches her. She was in a relationship with the master. He disappeared. She thinks he's dead. Um, she saved some of his burned manuscript. And this devil man approaches her and quotes from this manuscript in a way that no one, you know, no one could unless he had supernatural powers. Mm-hmm. He invites her to join the devil at some sort of like spring ball, some annual ball. And she kind of intuits that maybe this will mean a chance to like meet my love again either i guess in the afterlife or like get a favor from the devil like devil went down to georgia style mm-hmm. um so the dude gives her some cream that she has to take all of her clothes off and rub on her body and then she becomes a witch like you do right you know witch cream witch cream <laughs> Um, she you buy it at the Walgreens. Yeah, you can get the you can get the store brand version or the fancy name brand version. Her her hair con goes crazy. Her eyebrows get all bushy, like un unlike made up or untrimmed, and she sort of looks younger by about ten years. And she's naked, and a broom like flies at her, and then she just starts flying around Russia, naked on a broom. That's pretty spooky. It's pretty spooky, especially when uh, her her maid, Natasha, also uses some of the cream, becomes a witch, puts it on Margarita's husband, who then becomes a pig, and then Natasha starts flying around on the pig man mm-hmm. through the skies of Russia. This sounds weird. It sounds like a weird, weird. one. And it's like sort of spooky because it's kind of horrifying to think if you were like a man who could talk, but now you were a pig who can also talk mm-hmm. and you're being ridden by a, a naked witch woman <laughs> and you don't know if you're ever going to be a man again. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also like it's got a weird sense of humor that pervades the book. All of this stuff feels absurd 
where in a way that you're supposed to be maybe chuckling at and then troubled by. Uh-huh. Um, I mentioned Nikolai Gogol earlier. He has a short story that is called The Nose, where some Russian bureaucrat's nose like jumps off his face and like takes on a life of its own. <laughs> and it, it's, it feels of a piece with that, um, also of a piece with like Kafka in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so then this whole witch stuff uh, leads Margarita to A, uh, naked but invisible, flying through the skies of Russia, goes to the apartment building where the critics who ruined the master's career live and like breaks all their windows and all their mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And then she goes and participates in the devil's ball, which this is where the book gets its most like magic realist, where she is like transported from place to place really easily in a in a in a magic sort of way where like she closes her eyes and then all of a sudden she's in a forest and then all of a sudden she's in a bathhouse and then all of a Mm -hmm. sudden all these tulips appear Mm -hmm. um it's kind of unclear why she agrees to just like all of a sudden be the devil's queen i guess maybe you don't tell the devil no no i guess not i mean (laughs) if the devil came to you andrew and said be my queen would you say yes for like one night be my queen on on the night of my devil ball I mean, if it was just for one night, you know, just just try it. Just give it a try. YOLO. What's the worst thing that can happen? Well, probably a, pretty probably bad. a lot, I would think. Um, he makes her sit at the top of a whole bunch of stairs, um, kind of on the entryway to this party. And all of the people from hell, like a, a parade of murderers and poisoners and whatever, come out of a fireplace and like greet her. Mm-hmm. And she has to just sit there and like greet them for like hours. Um, and we see some people that we've met in other parts of the story. Um, and she does this so that she can, you know, be owed a favor by the devil uh, who does grant her like going back to her relationship with with the master. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I do want to read like a little section that gets a sense of like, how transitions work in this book, uh, especially when magic is involved. So when the party's winding down, the crowds of guests began to lose their shape. Tailcoaters and women fell to dust. Decay enveloped the room before Margarita's eyes. A A sepulchral smell flowed over it. The columns fell apart. The fires went out. Everything shrank. There were no more fountains, no camellias, no tulips. And there was simply this, the modest living room of the jeweler's widow. And so it's like... The devil could just like take you places. He can just make a room disappear. He can make a room appear. Um, lots of transitions in this book are just like all of a sudden, whoops, you're somewhere else. Right. Um, and, and that to me feels of a piece with other magical realism that we've read. As like at what point though is it magical realism and at what point is it just magic? Yeah. Like devil that's magic. True. It, that's true. That's certainly true. Um, so the latter part of this book is like the devil dealing with the master and Margarita. He does like put them together. Um, there's this line where he tells the master that manuscripts don't burn, which is another famous line from this book. Mm -hmm. Um, which I guess is also a reference to Bulgakov being unable to turn this book like away from his life. Um, and 
he puts them back together, but uh, a, a messenger from yes from Jesus from actual Jesus shows up and tells the like devil, actual Jesus or yeah. like don't call him Jesus from well, before. Yeah, the book always calls him Yeshua, but he's definitely a, a, an angel. Um, okay. Tells the devil that these two people they don't get to go to heaven. They basically need to go to limbo. Um, but before the devil takes them there, he literally takes them to meet Pontius Pilate, who's, I guess, been alive on a mountain for 2,000 years, being sad about sentencing Jesus to death. <laughs> and You don't the, hear that part of the story. No, you really don't, Where actually. God is just like... <laughs> Actually, you are gonna you're gonna think about this for a while. You're gonna sit in a corner and think about what you did. <laughs> He's like sitting on this like balcony, staring at the moon with his giant dog, like feeling sad about himself. Mm-hmm. And the master like tells him to be free, and then Pilate walks into the moon, and he's free. Uh huh. Like you do. Every, everyone knows that the moon is actually a door to the afterlife. That's how everyone knows. I forgot Mm -hmm. that part of the Bible. Um, Yeah, that's, I guess the, the cowardice thing crops back up in the master, like turning his back on his art and, and not being willing to pursue it in spite of like pressures from the state and whatnot. Um, I don't know. Would you, if the government told you, Andrew, that you couldn't podcast, would you podcast? Or if they I told mean, you to could, do your podcast a certain way, would you do it a different way? I can't imagine that the government would care enough to tell me what to do with my podcast, but I don't know. We could try some like deep web, dark web secret book podcasting. What I feel if, like it would be hard to like get the word out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is a crucial part of podcasting is mm-hmm. spreading the word. Um yeah, it's a really like wild book that's sort of all over the place. I feel like I have uh, conveyed the all over the place. You've definitely conveyed that. Yeah, but what that's questions like do you most. Have? <laughs> so why is this one of the most significant literary works of the 20th century? That like, is, what is it? Oh boy, a what great it, question. Uh, just like what is it? I don't know what 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 kind of stuff is it hailed for in particular because so far it just sounds like a weird book where some people turn into witches (laughs) and the devil is there sometimes yeah the devil is there sometimes so i think one reason it was probably hailed within russia is the like critique of soviet society in the 30s and i read some essays about it also being like a reminder of like late 80s Russia as well. There's like a staleness to their society that the devil is there to point out to them, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, if you're Bulgakov, you're looking around and you're looking at corruption. You're looking at people being really petty over certain parts of the system. And what if you dialed all of that up to 11 to the point where like people could actually be literally disappeared by magic and stuff sure. as a mm-hmm. consequence? Yeah. Um, the Margarita stuff is kind of interesting because it's this woman who is sort of stuck as a housewife and decides, nah, screw that. I'm going to be a witch and work with the devil to get my man back. And... <laughs> 
that's kind of rad. Like, a naked lady flying through the sky is probably pretty racy for 1930s Russia in the first place. But also her, like, hobnobbing with zombies and uh, working with an evil cat that shoots people and sets stuff on fire and then is helping her man, like, publish this sort of non-canonical version of Jesus in a society mm-hmm. that's pretty anti-religious. Sure. Um, seems important. And to top all of that off, the book is really... Be, the all over the placeness of, of me talking about it, I think, is a product of the fact that like it switches tones pretty pretty loosely. It switches um not necessarily like style, like it doesn't dip in and out of different genres or or like structures or anything, but it does like to oscillate between this kind of absurdist high farce and like no, this is like a real person facing a real situation. And, and some actual like horror in their life that they can't escape from. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That's the, that's the fine line to walk. I think sometimes when you do stuff, that's kind of absurd. Um, I can sometimes bounce off of it. I don't know if you feel the same way, like stuff that's like here. Okay. So in the devil's party that he throws, <laughs> there's like at one point the cat, opens a bottle and the entire pool turns into cognac and everybody's drinking cognac and gets drunk. And there's a jazz band that's actually like a whole bunch of zoo animals. And it's like, what is even happening? And I, in within it, I'm like, I don't know if I am into this because it feels like a little bit much. Yeah. Like <laughs> sometimes when the weirdness just seems like weirdness for its own sake, but yes, Yes. But- I don't know. There, it's, it's good to have the context for what the, like the environment that the book was produced in, in, in this case, I think, because the contrast between the absurdity of the situation and also like the very real and hugeness and like awfulness of what he's actually writing about is. Uh, that's the point right yeah and and the stuff i've kind of underplayed i think the pilot the pontius pilot narrative i think there's a lot there that was probably not the state's cup of tea in terms of as i said like a pilot as a bureaucrat but also like yo maybe maybe what if there's some truth to this story even if it's not a like historically accurate story like let's let's spend russian literary time delving into jesus does not seem like a thing stalin would (laughs) truck with sure um so having a state official feel guilt over getting rid of jesus and then playing a part in the death of judas and yet jesus forgiving both of them Mm -hmm. seems pretty seems a little radical and maybe a little spooky. Maybe if, a little spooky. If you were Joseph Stalin. <laughs> what would spook <laughs> Joseph Stalin? Capitalism, ah, obviously. The free market, I'm spooked. Could you like design a haunted house that's just the free market? I think you could. Like you could have sort of a little roller coaster that like emulated the highs and the lows of the market. 
and you could have like a little room where you know how in in like a haunted house ride there'll be skeletons that like pop out at you and they play a noise and this one would just be a like a businessman with a monocle holding money bags and it would make a really loud cha-ching sound and yeah or like a casino or sure like an atlantic city casino or i guess I think going into a modern grocery store would be horrifying oh, for Joseph. Oh God, he'd hate because, it because because he'd be like, "The what hath the free market wrought? <laughs> I can't even find where the regular Oreos are anymore among all the weird Oreos." Same for the Pringles. Like there was a I forget if it was one of the grocery stores in Ohio or in Jersey City that we would go to. I think it might have been Ohio, but. They had every weird kind of dole orange juice, like strawberry, banana, and whatever, whatever. But they didn't have orange juice. They didn't have just orange juice. They only had the weird kinds. I couldn't buy plain Tyson chicken fingers the other day because the whole section was honey barbecue and bourbon something uh-huh. and dinosaurs chicken party or whatever like chicken i don't even party. know what was in that section i couldn't just get the normal thing because capitalism yeah so that that would be kind of a capitalist haunted house experience to just make them walk up and down the aisles at the acme how could the market sustain so many choices how could the market do this <laughs> do the popular oreos subsidize the failure oreos the invisible hand of the free market only dunks double stuff Oreos. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just want to give a shout out as we close to a couple turns of phrase in the margarita section that I think um, are pretty good and just kind of point out. Like, I think some of the flights of fancy are why people really mem- like remember this book and it really stands out like the stuff of margarita flying around and the hog man and the and the cool cat. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also just like little nuggets of, of fun little, uh, language. So one is talking about the love between the master and the margarita. This is the master talking about it. He says, love leaped out in front of us like a murderer in an alley leaping out of nowhere and struck us both at once as lightning strikes as a Finnish knife strikes. <laughs> She, by the way, insisted afterwards that it wasn't so, that we had, of course, loved each other for a long, long time without even knowing each other, um, which I think I think is, I don't know what a Finnish knife is, but I get the point. Like a Finnish, like from Finland? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or no, oh, what if it was like, a Finnish knife sounds like, if it was just the word Finnish, that sounds like a weapon from like a video game, the mm-hmm. Finnish knife. The Finnish knife? Um, and the other one is after like a bad translation yes. for the for the final <laughs> sword that you get. The other one is uh, when Margarita turns into a witch, she leaves a note like you do for her husband that says, forgive me and forget me as soon as possible. I am leaving you forever. Do not look for me. It is useless. I have become a witch from the grief and calamities that have struck me. It's time for me to go. Farewell. Which is a pretty good mic drop okay i too have become a witch from the grief and calamities that have struck me yeah same to say um yeah i think the the imagery of the book is probably a a big reason why people remember it and and have a lot of fun with it um but i think there's a lot to chew on with the enemy of the state stuff and the the interplay between art and state and yo the devil's in there and the devil's here 
buy it. Making people his queen. Making people his queen. Turn people into vampires. Turn people into hog people. This book's wild. Cool. Well, I'm. I could. I could want. I want to be a little more spooked than I am. Just a little bit more. I d- I but, was not scared by the book. I'll say. Sure. I think we could have read this anytime and not just in Spooktober. Yes, but I think that's possibly true. There are some spooky elements, and it also helps to get some more Russian into our canon, like well, our overdue canon. So yes, that's also true. That's very yeah. true. Um, if you found certain parts of this book, you, the listener, found certain parts of this book spooky that I did not, please let us know. Shoot us an email at overduepod at gmail.com or twitter.com slash, fa- slash Facebook. Twitter.com slash overduepod or facebook.com slash overduepod. Uh, we got a, a lot of responses to last week's episode on Carrie. Um, thanks so much to Natalie, Lucas, Jaron, Akshat, Hana, uh, Daria, Brittany, Paul, Mary-Kate, Dion, Kelly, Christine, Jacqueline, Tom, Gloria, Jeff, and Benny Moore for that. Andrew, folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? They should go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our internet website. Up there we have links to iTunes and Google Play and RSS. If you subscribe on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, do rate and review us. It helps us rise in those rankings and it helps other people find the show. Um, we have got a list of the rest of the stuff we're going to read in Spooktober up there. We've got a link to our Patreon project. It's patreon.com slash OverduePod. Um, what else? New listener page for new listeners. If, if you are pointing someone new at the show and you want some episodes to for them to start with, that's uh, that's where they should go to find the things. Mm-hmm. So what's explain what's happening next week. Next what week. What are you reading? We are talking about Say Cheese and Die, the Bob Jovial Stein classic. Mm-hmm. Um, goosebumps. It's, it's goosebumps. It's a goosebumps book. Just in case people like we call him Bob Jovial Bob Stein because obviously that's what he prefers to be called. But <laughs> that's true. if you haven't listened to every episode of our show for like two years, you might not understand why we call him that. Um. So yeah, okay. we're talking. Yeah, enjoy it. Uh, just try not to die, even if you say cheese. Yeah, you would also enjoy it because you're the one who's reading it. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week with some more spooks. And until then, try to be happy. That was a headgum podcast.